Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. In this episode, we have Jason Pfeiffer. He is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. We dive into failure, mindset, vulnerability. Thank you all so much for being here and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. So grateful to have you here. We have the amazing Jason Pfeiffer. We are here to talk all about vulnerability and mindset and failure. Jason, can you tell us a little bit because of your work with Entrepreneur Magazine, what does failure look like to you? What is some moments where failure was the main storyline? Oh boy, for me personally, I you know, I mean, look, the funny thing about failure is that it is it is treated as an ending, but it is not. Uh, there's this there's this statistic that people like to throw around, which is that nine out of ten new businesses fail. And that that's not that statistic isn't actually true. It's like it it's it is actually that about half of businesses new businesses close after the first four years, but of the ones that close, a good portion of them, I don't remember exactly, they didn't close because they like ran into some kind of hardship. They closed because whatever, they sold, it reached some sort of conclusion, right? It was it was just because something closed doesn't mean that it failed. And even if something did fail, it doesn't mean that the entrepreneur failed because they might've started a business, it might've failed and closed, and they might've learned from that and then gone and started something else. And that thing was a success. So the the tricky thing about the concept of failure is that it is oftentimes stuck within a small slice of a larger continuum. And if you look at it in a broader context, or even if you are just living in the moment and you can't exactly see what the broader context is moving forward with the the peace of mind that there is a broader context can help you recontextualize failure as something better like data. That's what it is. It's learning. It's data. Failure is trial and error. I say this with my clients all the time. I mean, you're going to go put your great work out there and then just see what the response is. Can you think of a specific moment where you experienced failure and it kind of had this impactful silver lining? Oh, sure. Me? I mean, over and over again. I... I'll tell you one kind of foundational to the role that I'm in right now. When I became editor-in-chief... I had absolutely no understanding of what it really meant to do that. I understood the magazine part of it. I understood that I was going to take over a magazine. I was going to bring fresh ideas. I was going to scrap it. I was going to change some of the staff, et cetera, et cetera. Then I went out and talked to audience. And my audience didn't understand me as like a guy who makes a magazine. They understood me as a guy who leads a, a, a thought leader in entrepreneurship. And I was not prepared for that at all. That, that's not my background. I had no training in, in media or any. I mean, obviously, I make media, but I wasn't like media trained, so to speak. And so I was very uncomfortable doing this. And people would have me on their podcasts five years ago. And they would, we got Jason Fiverr here, thought leader in entrepreneurship. We're so excited. And I would, I, my instinct would be to reel it back. Well, I don't really think of myself as a thought leader, really more of a generalist and a storyteller. And 
I, I, you know, I just like to learn from, I, I, I don't know what I was saying, but whatever it was, it was <laughs> terrible, right? It was terrible and it was embarrassing and it made people uncomfortable and it was like not clear who I was or what my point was. And I eventually, my wife gave this, gave me this great advice as I was telling her this, which was, she was like, if they want you to be a thought leader, just be a thought leader. And what I realized was, well, one, importantly, the only difference between a thought leader and not a thought leader is that the thought leader is willing to call themselves a thought leader. Like that's literally the only difference. But more importantly, that I could serve a different role. Like I could understand what people want from me. And then I could rise up and meet that challenge and be transformed for the better because of it. And that was a real process and project and, and of putting myself out there in very uncomfortable ways on television, on stage. It, it, feeling very unprepared for it and then seeing what came out of my mouth and seeing what people responded to and then learning and growing. And so that there was a place where I felt like a failure for, for quite a while, but doing so enabled me to find this completely other opportunity to serve people and present myself. Jason, I love how you really explain that because if people, I, a lot of my background is teaching meditation around the world and I transformed into a business coach totally organically as soulful entrepreneurs were saying to me, Aaron, how did you do this? And I agree that because people were coming to me and asking for that, I then showed up and stepped into that role. Mm -hmm. And there's a mindset that's involved in this. So I'm wondering, do you have any specific well-being or mindset rituals that really support you in showing up throughout your day? Hmm. I mean, I have this line. I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I have this line, which I like to tell people, which is you come from the future. And what I mean by you come from the future is that, you know, people are very uncomfortable with change and they don't like new thing. We like the idea of new things, but then as soon as we're faced with that, the new thing might replace our old thing. We're like, get very, very uncomfortable with it. And yet I want people to remember, and I try to remember this myself, that everything that I am is the product of something that made people and myself uncomfortable at some period of time. Or like everything that I know how to do, my, my ideas, the way that I write, you know, you, I mean, you, if you want to think big, the technology that you use, the way that you dress, the way that you speak, all of this stuff is like new and scary to somebody else. And that can include you, right? Because the things that I'm doing now are totally new and scary to me five, 10 years ago. And yet here I look at myself and I'm like, I'm pretty good, right? We all should look at ourselves. We're pretty good, pretty good. You know, and we're, how are we pretty good? We're, we're the product of change. We're literally the living embodiment of change. Everything that we are is new. To somebody. And yet it's fine. And weirdly, now when change comes along to us, we're like, stop it. Stop. I, I like these things. What are you bringing these new things for? Get rid of my good things. And, and so if we can remember that we come from the future, like we come from somebody else's future. And that means that we have an opportunity to one, recognize that by evidence of ourselves, change isn't inherently bad. And then two, that we can participate in it and help shape it and find advantage in it. That that's a pretty valuable place to be in. But it requires constant reminding about it because it is not an easy, intuitive thing. We like comfort. We don't like change. But of course, we do like change when it happens. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, I have a whole, all these hosts of questions and I kind of just want to switch it up. You have sure. 12 months. Okay. Yeah. 
and you can live in three different countries, one place to eat, one place to pray, and one place to love and whatever that looks like for you. Yes, the good old eat, pray, love. Where do you eat for four months? Where do you pray for four months? And where do you love for four months? And yes, you can bring <laughs> your wife and your gorgeous kids with you as well. Yeah. Uh, what a, oh, this is, I, I feel like this question. Uh, so I don't, I, so here's a funny thing about me, which is not at all what you were digging for, but I don't have a sense of taste or smell. And so I actually, oh, don't wow. have, yeah. So I don't, I like eating is, is something that I just sort of like deeply don't care about. Um, uh, I love going to restaurants with friends, but like when you're like, what, what would you love to eat? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What did I have for lunch today? Um, so, but I, I mean, I guess I really like, I mean, I like Indian food because it's so complicated. You know, like you go out, you, you you get like a bunch of dishes and they're all different textures and you're like putting it on different things. And like naan is just a fantastic creation. And so, um, so maybe the answer uh, for eating is India, although I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know. I don't have definitive answers to this. I can tell you that I, my wife and I, when we play the, where do we want to live? If not the place that we live game, we tend to come back to Berlin. Um, and so maybe I would put that on love uh, that we would go and spend some time in Berlin. Um, I, I think I think mark my words when our kids are old enough that they go to summer camp for the summer, which is like that's my north star. Like I just cannot wait for that to happen. Then um, I think I think I'm going to talk my wife into like moving to Berlin for a couple months. I just that's going to be a lot of fun. Praying, I you know I don't know. I'm not. I have to admit I'm not terribly meditative. Um, uh, I have found a kind of self-care ritual, which is not a thing that I really have ever thought about. I mean, like, I understand that this is something that people should be doing and it's a deficiency of mine that I, I tend to focus in so much on the things that I need to do that I like don't step back for it. But I've spent the last year in Colorado. Uh, I usually, we live in Brooklyn, New York, but I've been in Colorado staying with my parents because there's this thing called the pandemic. If you've heard about it. And so I, have been taking bike rides during the day, like an hour long bike ride out into the, just like the open. Um, and I love it and it's wonderful. And so I, I, I guess anywhere that I can go take a bike ride out into the open, um, which is, which is most of the world I realize. So I don't, I don't know where to tell you, but, um, but I have been really enjoying that. I, 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 my lesson from that is that I actually do have the time for it. I used to think I just don't have the time for that. It's too much to do. And you know what I do? I still have too much to do, but I actually can make that. If you step away for an hour and do it, you will come back. The work will still be there waiting for you. You, you even if you spent that hour on work, it, you wouldn't have, the, you wouldn't have shrunk the mountain. The mountain will always be there. So go take a bike ride. That didn't answer your question at all, but it was some things that came out of my mouth. <laughs> it was amazing. I used to live in India, so I'm with you on that whole um, just like kind of feasting with all of your senses. So wh- why can't you taste or smell? What's the story there? <laughs> I know you're going to have a lot of questions. Everyone always does. Um, so I, we don't know the story. I mean, the answer is that when I was in my early twenties, I was dating this girl who had like a tremendous sense of smell. And that's when I realized, you know, I just like, whatever it is that you're experiencing, I am not. And, um, and then we, there, we, there was, there was a, 
there was a time where like our George Foreman grill, I mean, you know, cause we're talking early twenties when our George Foreman grill like caught on fire and I didn't smell it. And then I thought, well, I should go get this checked out. So I did, you can go, there are these taste and smell clinics around the country. I went to one at the university of Connecticut. It's a three day multidisciplinary thing. Like they poke and they prod you and they check absolutely everything. They're looking for some active explanation for why you cannot smell. And when I'm saying taste and smell, it's really a smell issue because, um, taste is so dependent upon smell. Like people, people misunderstand the word taste. We say taste you, you, you don't. Um, so if you eat chocolate, you're going to say you taste chocolate. You, you do when you don't right? So taste is actually just sweet, salty, sour, bitter. It's just like the, the categories that you get on your tongue. So you taste sweet, and then you get a flavor of chocolate and the flavor actually comes from your olfactory nerves. It comes from your sense of smell. You're basically smelling it inside of your mouth. So I don't have that second part. So I, if I eat chocolate, I get the sweet, but I don't get the chocolate. So for that reason, like mint ice cream and chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream are all the same. They're all just ice cream, right? They're all just like sweet and creamy. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, they poked and they prodded me. They're looking for anything. Is it nasal polyps? Is it a brain tumor? Like, what is it? It could be anything. And they found nothing. And so when you find nothing, then the answer is that something came and went, there was some damage and now the damage is done. And that's the end of it. What could it be? Well, it's usually one of three things. It's either head trauma or it's chemical exposure or it's an upper respiratory infection that happened to fry your olfactory nerves because that can just happen. I mean, obviously now the fourth is like COVID, but like that's a different thing. And so uh, most likely I fell out of, I fell out of a stroller, a babysitter accidentally you know, was strolling me around. I, I hit a rock. I don't know. Something happened. I fell out of the stroller and um, I was in traction this is when I was like very, very little. And so my parents thinking is that that was probably the head trauma that did it. Uh, there's just no way to know. But you didn't Jason think you were going to get that. Uh, no, you didn't I think, think you were going to get that today. That was very exciting. It was a very exciting story. And I sent so much love to that early version of you that might have fallen out of a stroller. Yes, and thank you. <laughs> so your words go viral and you're sharing wisdom, advice, yeah. profound, profound words to the world. What is mm. some wisdom that you would like to share? This is a good question. Um, I will tell you, I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you the two questions that I ask myself. Well, one's a question, one's a statement. Uh, and uh, you can do with it what you will, world, world who receives this viral information. Um, so uh, the first one is uh, a question that I like to ask myself all the time, which is what am I missing? What am I missing? I'm obsessed with this question. What am I missing? Because I'm always missing something. Um, I could be missing something in an individual opportunity. It could be missing something in, in my life. If we're working on something, what am I missing? Um, I always just want to know, what am I missing? Um, what, what am I missing? I think gives you situational awareness. It enables you to realize what you know and what you don't know. It also keeps you open-minded. Um, you know, what am I missing right now? I have a lot going on in my life, podcast, book, running a magazine, speaking, what am I missing? I gotta be missing something. I'm totally missing something. What is it? Um, and, and how can I, how can I do it better? So, uh, ask yourself, what am I missing? Number two, I like to tell myself, especially in moments in which I'm doing something that is uncomfortable and that is brand new. Uh, my line to myself, I like to ask it, or again, I keep saying ask, it's not, it's a statement, not a question is I cannot wait to do this the second time really, really valuable. 
Like I remember standing on stage, Scottsdale, Arizona, being introduced. Very first time I was ever going to stand on stage and give a keynote. I had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't really feel like I understood the audience either. And I, I'm watching this person introduce me and I'm about to go out and I realize I just know it's not going to be as good as I want it to be. It just can't possibly be. The first time is never going to be good. Um, and so uh, so I tell myself, it just popped in my head. I told myself, I cannot wait to do this the second time. Like, that, we just need to get through this so that we can get to the second time. Because the second time, I'm going to be more knowledgeable. I will have the experience that I'm about to have, but it will be in retrospect, so it won't feel as excruciating. And then we can start moving. We start really doing this, right? Like you just got to get through it the first time to get to the second time. Um, and, uh, and, and so I suppose, you know, um, you, you, you look forward to that second time. It, 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 it will be great. It will be better than the first time. I guarantee it. And it, it'll be, it'll make the first time, whatever it is and how possibly excruciating it is totally worth it because you will get to the better thing. Jason. Amazing. How can everyone find you? Uh, well, they can check out a podcast that I do called Build for Tomorrow. It is a show about the things from history that shaped us and how we can shape the future. So I like to tackle the things that we think we understand that we often think negatively about and show why it's not it's just not the way it is. It's more it's it's more complicated. Um, they'll give you examples. I did an episode about why great things come from crisis by looking back at the good things that came from the bubonic plague. Uh, I did an episode about participation trophies and how literally everybody gets that wrong. Oh, participate. Oh, kids today, they got, everyone gets a trophy. And that's why, no, no, no. Like, look, first, whether you agree with that or not, like you're familiar with the argument, the thing that's like fundamentally wrong about that is that participation trophies have been around for a hundred years, literally a hundred years. Everybody who's like kids today or they're participating, you guys got participation trophies too. And you don't remember it because it wasn't a big deal. So I like to look through history. I like to take lessons from history about how change happens and then apply them to today so that we have a better understanding of the things that we're going through. Um, one more thing, if you want to know why the teddy bear caused an absolute national moral crisis in 1907, fascinating. The teddy bear is like the most subversive toy in history. Anyway, got an episode on that too. So build for tomorrow. Uh, that's how you can check me out. And you can find me on Instagram um, at HeyPfeiffer. If you DM me, I'll respond. There it is. Jason, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode on the Wise Woman Podcast. As always, please let us know what resonated, what landed on your heart, what your takeaways are. If you take a picture, a screenshot of you listening to this episode and you tag me on Instagram at Aaron R. Doppelt, you get a chance to win so many fun prizes, including a one-on-one -on -one session with me. Thank you all so much. Feel good. And I look forward to connecting soon.